Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, where we shine the spotlight on the many but often ignored positive happenings, activities, projects and investments at every level across every sector to inspire, motivate and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation, the Jamaica Public Service Company, Manpower and Maintenance Services Limited, Red Stripe, Caramed and Proven Investments Limited. I'm Neil Armstrong and welcome to Impacting Jamaica. I'm with Brandis Denham Jolly, who is the recipient of the Order of Distinction in the rank of Officer from the Government of Jamaica for his contribution to the Jamaican diaspora in Canada and philanthropy. The national honors and awards were announced on Independence Day, August 6, and will be presented on National Heroes Day, October 17th. In June of this year, he received an honorary Doctor of Laws degree from the University of Toronto and was invested into the Order of Canada in 2020. The Order of Canada honors people who make extraordinary contributions to the nation. Congratulations on the Order of Distinction, Dr. Jolly. How, how did you feel when you got the news? Oh, very honored, very honored and very humbled. You know, the University of Toronto is one of the top two universities in the country. I'm probably up there too in the continent. Mm -hmm. So it's a great honor and uh, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Now, Industry Cove in the parish of Hanover, Jamaica, is where life started for you. And there's a story about how you got your name, which involves the then governor of Jamaica in the year 1935. Please, please share that story with us. Well, uh, the, the, my parents tell me that uh, my dad was a big guy who was a big uh, supporter of dignitaries who went by being such a remote part of the country. And he would hang the Jamaican flag, the British flag at that time, up, you know, he had a flagpole at the gate, and often people would stop there, Boston Knight stopped there, uh, Manly stopped there, and, th and on this particular day, the governor of Jamaica was going by, Sir Edward Brandis Denham, mm -hmm. and, uh, he stopped and uh, spoke to my dad, and I was born that day. So they thought they'd uh, name me after the governor. Brandis mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Denham. <laughs> yes, I, in fact, I, I thought about you uh, this week, was it? I thought about you this week when, when the Queen's uh, funeral was happening because of the, the association with uh, the, the name and, and, and empire. <laughs> The, the 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 teachings of your parents, Ina Euphema Jolly and Benjamin Augustus Jolly, were important in your upbringing. Why was helping others so important to your mother and drilled into you and your siblings? And I'm also thinking of your father's career advice to you. Don't work for anyone but yourself and always own property. Something you heeded. Yes, it, it, it worked well for me in later years. And I suppose uh, it, it was a uh, wealthy district, but we were fortunate to uh, have uh, some resources. Mm -hmm. For example, it was the days before running water, mm -hmm. 
And my father had the only well in the village, or the only one that was drilled. And everyone, every morning, we'd see the entire village go by with with vessels getting water from our well. And he welcomed that kind of ability to uh, help the less privileged. And my mother was also uh, very generous to everyone. You know, um, our neighbors who might not have had so much, she'd sit them right at the table with us to, to eat if they came by and hang around. And she knew that that's what they were about. So she'd invite them in and we'd, we would uh, all have dinner together. But she was a very generous person, not only with uh, material things, but with her time to mm-hmm. other people. She, she was a justice of the peace. And she was the only one that the police would go to after midnight to bail people out. Mm-hmm. And uh, for documents and whatnot, people would show up at all hours of the day and night, and there was no charge. So, you know, they, both my mother and father loved to see other people uh, advance in life. Mm-hmm. So it was an example for me, you know, to hear. Yes, yes. As they say in Jamaica, sheer and sheer alike. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And and you certainly followed your, your father's advice to to not work for anyone but yourself and to own property. Well, yes, it was very poignant, especially on its own. It's a excellent advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, we have so many homeless people and even professionals can't afford to buy homes in the area I live. Mm-hmm. But also, um, uh, in, in this country, where there's so much animosity towards people of color, it certainly bode me well to be independent, to own, own my own property, and own property in general. So, mm-hmm. it was even more poignant in this country. Yes. And, and speaking of that... As someone who has received many honors and awards in Canada in the 67 years that you have lived here, the, the country was very different when you came in 1955 at the age of 20. I'm wondering what kept you going in spite of all the challenges with racism and discrimination that you faced. Well, I didn't let them get to me. You know, I figured... They're, they're no better than I am. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the ones that are uh, really at, at a disadvantage with such stupid ideas in their head. Mm-hmm. And um, in fact, it was a motivator for me, the attitudes that I faced. Uh, because I, I knew in my heart that uh, I'm as good as anyone and I can challenge anyone that, in intellect or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I didn't let that bother me. At no time did I feel inferior to anyone. Mm-hmm. And so um, maybe I got that from my parents too. Mm-hmm. So it didn't bother me what they were thinking. And it was a motivator for me. So I used it to outdo them and to study them and to figure out what their next move was. Mm-hmm. As I say in my book, um, I knew 
the white population more than they knew themselves. Mm-hmm. Because it behooved me to know what their next move was before they made it. Mm-hmm. Whereas it didn't matter to them, you know, they figured they were dominant, they could do anything, they didn't have to know anything about anyone else. But I used that to my advantage. Mm-hmm. I knew what their next move was before they made it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it sounds like a, a game of a game of chess. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. One well, one of the things that you also said in 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 your memoir in the black is that it is the book is an opportunity for white Canadians to to get to know uh, some of the the black Canadians who have made significant contributions to this country. Not always people who have made significant contributions, but any other. Mm-hmm ethnic group it, it enriches you to know more about the people with which you live mm-hmm. it's an enrichment yes yes and, and and for example a lot of these uh well most of them have businesses where they have other ethnic groups working for them and who would not want to know about your employees you can your operation function better if you know everything about or something about the other cultures that are your employees. So you know it's not wise not to know about them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I I want to to go back a bit to when you came to Canada in 1955, uh, which is documented in in your memoir. Uh, which is published by ECW Press and and won the Toronto Book Award in 2017 because you you chart your life and the lives of these these black women and men who were challenging all the isms and schisms to create a more just and livable Canada. But there are particular persons who were of importance in your life. I'm thinking of Violet Williams or later... Violet Blackman, a Jamaican and a Garveyite who ran a rooming house and influenced you a lot. You you describe her house on Manning Avenue as a home, a cultural center, a spiritual place. What 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 is your fondest memory of her and 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 was she who generated that love for Marcus Garvey in you? Well yes, she stood up she stood up to the opposing forces in the society. Mm-hmm. And she was a big supporter of Marcus Garvey. In fact, she was, I think, president or vice president of the credit union. Mm-hmm. And her home was a cultural center and a center for most of the black people in Toronto. And she was very highly respected. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a very strong disciple of Marcus Garvey and belonged to the United Negro Improvement Association. But she was uh, a, a person who walked the talk, you know. I would I would pay her my uh, my, my fees for, for the rooming house when uh, I came there in the summertime from university. And she was so generous and was so committed to the advancement of people that she would give me pocket money before I got a job when I would come there in the summer. Mm-hmm. 
And not, she wouldn't charge me until I, start, I got a job. So she was all for the advancement of colored people, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. And uh, very highly respected in the community. In fact, the UIA, they owned their own building back then. Mm -hmm. And they would have functions there at the weekends, and all those young teenage and young black men that would be uh, usually don't obey. She, she was, once she told them, gave them her orders and disciplinary rules. They dare not disobey her. Mm -hmm. And she was so highly respected that everybody knew you can do what mom says. Mm -hmm. Or you're in trouble. Not, not only there, but you're in trouble with your parents too. Mm -hmm. So she was a leader, a very, very strong leader in the community. Mm -hmm. And 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 was very, very crushed or disappointed when when the UNA building was was sold. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. As 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 a successful black businessman, you, you realize that your position comes with a certain power and you note in your memoir, quote, as someone with his own business, I could speak out when others had to be silent. Looking at your community activism as a as a member, a founding member of the Black Action Defense Committee, who was uh, involved in protests against police shootings of Buddy Evans, Albert Johnston, and other uh, black Canadians. I'm, I'm wondering why were you so moved to get visibly involved in, in these demonstrations, etc.? Because as the saying goes, and I also had children, you know, and as the saying goes, dear but the grace of God go high. I realized that when a policeman stops you or accused you, he's not going to ask you about your bank account. To him, he saw just one thing, your race, mm -hmm. and acted thusly. So it, you would be deceiving yourself if you think because of your status, it gives you any distinction with the, uh, the, the suppressors. Mm -hmm. So as uh, a prominent black man said until everyone is free then there is really no freedom mm -hmm. so you would be deceiving yourself if you think that you are any different from the people who would oppress you mm -hmm. and therefore it behoove you to uplift their whole race mm -hmm. like a rising ocean lifts all ships so that was my philosophy and that's why I figured I'm not defending anyone but myself but myself along with everyone else yes in in fact in fact your memoir opens with an account of you uh, an, an encounter you had with the police in 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 your 70s near, near near your home and how and 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 how that played out as 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 a black man dealing with this 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 white officer absolutely mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I thought to myself, well, what if I were 17 years old from the oppressed community when he stops me in that community? He would not only threaten to shoot me, he would shoot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, and, and therefore I was not lost in self-deception. I figured, you have to react to these people and push back. Mm-hmm. 
and not give them license to abandon the abused people. Yes. We are taking a break now to hear from our sponsors. Grace has been part of some special moments over the years, helping to make them, well, more memorable, even when they're a little bit unexpected. And with 100 years of great taste behind us, you can be sure we'll be making even more moments for a hundred years to come. Grace, taste that moves you. Searching for a one-stop solution to all your facilities maintenance needs? Visit Manpower Maintenance Services Sales and Distribution Center. We stock a wide range of COVID-19 washroom, cleaning, and other supplies, gardening tools, chemicals, and more. Our experts are always ready to give you the best advice. Manpower Maintenance Services Sales and Distribution Center, 14 Collins Green Avenue, Kingston, Freeport Commercial Center, Montego Bay, and 33 Ward Avenue, Mandeville. Visit or call us today, 876-920-47215. Come back. I know Pinky this time. Akeisha. Keisha. Just like me tell Pinky. Give GPS your number and then we'll send your text with them things here. So you can't stop, knock me door. What you mean? DM or call JPS and tell them to add your phone number to your account and you will know everything all the time. You're not for ask. Send your current contact information and always be in the know. Visit jpsco.com for more info. Welcome back. Dr. Denham Jolly is the recipient of the Order of Distinction in the rank of officer from the government of Jamaica for his contribution to the Jamaican diaspora in Canada and philanthropy. He's a human rights activist, the founder of Canada's first black-owned radio station, Flow 93.5 FM, founder of the prestigious Harry Jerome Awards, founder of the Black Business and Professional Association, and co-founder and president of the Committee for Due Process. Now, I'm, I'm familiar with all the various organizations that I just mentioned, except the Committee for Due Process. What is that about, Mr. Jolly? Well, that was formed in about the, uh, the late 70s when Buddy Evans, a black Nova Scotian, was murdered by 13 policemen in a nightclub mm-hmm. at King and Bathurst Street. Mm-hmm. And we, we, I thought that this was not, this was not right. That there wasn't any inquiry about it. He was unarmed. And if thirteen policemen can't subdue one man, then there's something wrong. So I went to a prominent Jamaican here, who was one of the founders of the uh, Jamaican Canadian Association, Bromley Armstrong, mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a very strong activist for human rights at the time. In fact, he desegregated the, the town in which Uncle Tom's cabin is, mm-hmm. where they wouldn't serve blacks at their lunch counters. Mm-hmm. So I went to him and I went to Alan Hamilton, the founder and publisher of Contrast newspaper at the time, and said, this can't happen. We know they're not going to charge the cops with uh, murder. But at least we should have an expose of this. We should have a coroner's inquiry. And so the Committee for Due Process was formed to get justice for Buddy Evans one way, shape, or another. 
and we pulled our funds together and we managed to get this uh, in the coroner's court mm-hmm. where there was a big expose of police practices and police prejudices and police racism. We got a very prominent criminal lawyer, Jack Pinkowski at the time. Mm-hmm. And we dragged out this in- inquest into all police training, police misconduct, and we, we put the spotlight in what was going on. And in fact, in the end, it was the longest inquest in the history of Ontario in the death of a single person. If there was a large fire with 10 or 12 people, that was another story. But for in the death of a single person, this was the longest inquest in the history of Ontario because we left no stones unturned. Mm-hmm. All experts on police training and police themselves. And so that's how it was formed at the time. And it was a precursor, actually, to... Uh, to um, to to buy C. Yes, the Black yeah. Action Defense yeah. Committee. Yes, yes. It was the first time that people had ever openly confronted the police in a in a in a civilized, practical way without violence. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned you mentioned contrast earlier. Uh, that was a groundbreaking newspaper in the Black community, founded by Al Hamilton. In the late 1960s, uh, Olivia Babsy Grange was involved in that as well, and it was a force to be reckoned with in the wider community. How did your involvement later on in that publication, how did that, your involvement with Contrast as owner and publisher in 1982 help with your bid to own a radio station later on? I'm thinking Flow 93.5, Canada's first black-owned radio station, which went to air in 2001, but it was the result of a 12-year fight to obtain a license to do so. Uh, well, to answer your first question, it was very influential and instrumental because we could take our message out to a wider audience and get their support because support is important in, in uh, trying to obtain a license from the Canadian Radio and Television Commission. Mm-hmm. Because one of the requirements is to show that there is a need for this in the community. So contrast was influential in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because contrast, it was uh, at the time, in fact, referred to as the eyes and ears of the community. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Mr. Hamilton wanted to get rid of it and uh, put it up for sale. And so I thought, we, we can't. Afford, the community cannot afford to lose this instrument because even Mahatma Gandhi believed that in building a strong community you needed a newspaper. Mm-hmm. So I bought it and operated it for a while and uh, it was successful and uh, then I sold it to a, man, a gentleman named Gooden, a Jamaican by the way. Mm-hmm. Horace, so, Horace Gooden. Uh, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you you, you, you you referenced contrast. You were talking about contrast just now. I, I, I want to talk about the the 12-year fight for uh, for Flow 93.5. How how did it feel when when victory was was 
was at hand, you were presented with this license and the broadcast started in in 2001. Well, we felt elated because it was groundbreaking and we felt that as this, a newspaper is important in the building of a strong community, mm -hmm. um, getting on the airwaves is more instant Mm -hmm. and can be more informative immediately. Mm -hmm. So it was even another brick in the building of a strong community. Mm -hmm. Yes, and of course, the wider community and the powers that be sees it as putting hands in the power of minority groups, which are very reluctant. Mm -hmm. So we had to make three applications over 12 years to finally obtain this license, but finally the pressure from even the, the broader community became supportive. Because mm -hmm. in the end, we were able to get editorial endorsements from all of the major newspapers mm -hmm. and from other influential sources in the community. So it was a milestone, which in fact is the name of the holding company for Flow 93.5. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were elated because this was groundbreaking to think that even the uh, New York Times did a piece and what an anomaly that a country with over a million black people did not have a radio station. So it was groundbreaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there was every resistance from the, the powers that be from putting that kind of influence in the hands of black people. But in the end, we prevailed. We did not give up. Mm -hmm. Yes. Speaking of speaking of groundbreaking, Bromley Armstrong in his memoir, Bromley Tireless Champion for Just Causes, mentions you. Uh, he mentions the fact that there was a time in Toronto when there were uh, some blacks who were entering untraditional areas of, of entrepreneurial ventures. And that in 1976, you expanded your Toronto-based Tyndall nursing home and moved it to Mississauga to accommodate 180 patients. When, when, you, entered, when you entered that world of, of, of owning nursing homes, did it, did it seem at the time that you were entering on traditional territory? Uh, somewhat mm -hmm. to that degree, but our people were caregivers and nurses and doctors uh, from time immemorial. Mm -hmm. It was uh, groundbreaking too, uh, in that, of that magnitude. Mm -hmm. In fact, we even, my company even owned a place in Dallas, Texas. So, well, we thought, why not? Mm -hmm. Why not? Why should we not be in every sphere of society? Why can't we be doctors, lawyers, taxi drivers, and nursing homeowners? Mm -hmm. And I felt it was uh, an example to the entrepreneurial members of our society. Don't be, don't be afraid of entering new fields. We have just as much ability and just as much intellect and just as much comp competence as anyone else. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Why not do it? Yes. Uh, going from going from Bromley Armstrong's memoir to to Marianne Chambers' recently released memoir, From the Heart. She mentions a day when you appeared at her campaign office with boxes of, of patties for anyone that was there at the office and notes that your contribution to the basic school that your mother founded in Industry Cove, Hanover, is worthy of, of, of praise. And, and, and you continue to support a breakfast program for needed students at Cornwall College, your alma mater in Montego Bay, and you support a boys soccer team in Regent Park here in Toronto. And in August, you, you donated over $300,000 to pay off the outstanding mortgage of the Jamaican Canadian Association. I, I want to know what drives you? Why, why do you keep on giving? Well, it seems that we have to well, one of the big things in my life and one of the most satisfying things in my life is community building. Because as I said before, by lifting the ocean, you lift all ships. Mm-hmm. And for example, in the case of the Jamaican Canadian Association, they made mortgage payments. And uh, imagine not having to make that mortgage payment that money could go for scholarships mm-hmm. or assistance to the seniors in our community mm-hmm. or after school programs for all kinds of kids. Mm-hmm. The mortgage on that kind of a money is quite significant on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, um, you have to, uh, they say, to those that much is given, much is much is expected. Mm-hmm. But when you give, I think it, it's a good thing to help those that are in need. And uh, it's quite satisfying. Mm-hmm. After all, you can only eat one steak per meal. You can only drive one car. So why not share? Mm-hmm. Why yeah. not share it? And especially by sharing it, you're enhancing your very own community. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. And if you have knowledge to impart or assets to share, go right ahead and do it. It helps everyone. Mm-hmm. Yes. In 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 your memoir in the black, you there's a quote that you have there, and it goes: "My message is always the same. We will never have a truly decent society." unless we insist on it. We must not be shy about standing up and raising our voices, end of quote. Is, is, is that your advice to us now, especially to the generation that declared Black Lives Matter as a, as a clarion call in recent years? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Submission is not an option. Mm-hmm. You have to, we have every right as an inalienable right to be equal to everyone and to have equal treatment and whatever is an entitlement, mm-hmm. we have every right to it, and and therefore we should not shy, we should not shy away from demanding those things mm-hmm. and putting ourselves in a position to take them. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
at no time should we feel inferior about anything. Mm-hmm. It seems to me, and one of the things that I have said is that I have observed that in our community and in our society, there is, their colonialism seems to have permeated in our DNA. Mm-hmm. We have, some of us have observed this message, like uh, th- that we're anything other than what Bob Marley says, only you can set yourself free. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and we have to just let ourselves know that we're equal to everyone. Mm-hmm. And don't be bound by the slave mentality. Mm-hmm. We have to get out of it. Yes. You, you've noted in your book as well that you're, quote, stepping back, but not stepping out. Now, what, what what does that mean? I I know you're eighty seven. So, what was that? What does that mean to you? Well, I won't be marching on the streets anymore. I won't be making as much, uh, right there. I say rousing speeches to inspire and uplift. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm here to advise and uh, inspire uh, people and, and consult with them when they need it. Mm-hmm. because when you've lived for 87 years you have a lot of if nothing else historical direction mm-hmm. and uh, I prepare, I'm still sharing those and that's what I mean yes which you certainly did at the the graduation uh, ceremony where you were in, awarded the order the the Doctor of Laws at the at the University of Toronto. Now I'm I'm thinking about the fact that you once owned a newspaper, you once owned a radio station, you you are the winner of the Toronto Book Award for your memoir in the Black, and a, na- a street has been named after you in Scarborough. I remember that very cold day in Scarborough when the the name of the street was unveiled, Jollyway in, in, in Scarborough. And now, and now I hear of a, a film, that there is a feature film adaptation of your memoir in the Black by filmmaker Francis Ann Solomon. What, what does that mean to you? Well, I think uh, uh, Francis Ann uh, and her, her company Caribbean Tales believes and shares some of the thoughts that I do, mm-hmm. because there is a strong culture of what I call omission, mm-hmm. where, for example, I never knew about these black women in NASA who were so instrumental in the space program. Mm-hmm. For example, John Glenn would not go up there if these black women, even though they were the advent of computers at the time, which was very new. And one of the reasons why John Glenn would say, well, I'm not going up there unless these black women check the trajectory of that spaceship. I never knew about these brilliant mathematicians, mm-hmm. black women. That's what I mean by the culture of omission. Mm-hmm. And there are so many examples of brilliant black people who have achieved so much that we never hear about. So it's good to chronicle and document historical things. Um, And uh, 
so I, I appreciate and humbled and honored by the fact that uh, she thinks that this is worthy of a film. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to its, uh, its uh, completion. And uh, I'm very much appreciative of that gesture. There is there is an email that I received from Caribbean Tales some time ago, and it's an email which has you in it, and in it you 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 say, "I know how difficult it is to start and sustain a community venture. I came to Canada from Jamaica to make a difference. In 1982, I published and ran Contrast, Canada's first." black newspaper and in 1991 i fought for 12 years and won the right to build flow canada's first black radio station in doing so i created opportunities for many people to work express themselves and have dignity as canadians having come in 1955 to make a difference in this country how are you feeling at this point in your life well, I think that I have accomplished some of those. Mm -hmm. I reference the radio station. Before the radio station, there was one black person engaged in the radio industry mm -hmm. in all of Canada. It was an ex-football player in Calgary named Jaime Harrison. Mm -hmm. And he was a salesman. He sold ads for the paper. Now, with the advent of flow, we introduced people as station managers, program directors, all aspects of radio. Mm -hmm. In fact, after the advent of flow, we had people on the morning and uh, the morning program in uh, Vancouver and Edmonton and Calgary and. Barry and Halifax, and we gave uh, black people an entry into the radio industry. Mm -hmm. And that part of it has been quite successful. A lot of them have, have uh, progressed from there into television. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, even the broadcaster for the Toronto Raptors, a, a, a lead winning, winning basketball team, is started at the radio station. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, we were the first station to play Drake on the radio. Mm -hmm. So, we have, I think, accomplished that end and given our people lots of opportunities and starts. I'm thinking of the, the many listeners to this podcast who will be hearing it and may be thinking what what can i do what can i do as someone who lives in industry cove hanover or anywhere in jamaica to to contribute to 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 the world what would be your advice to, to them my advice to them is what i say to everyone tenacity of purpose when you believe in something and believe it's going somewhere and will make a difference, never give up. Never give up. What I sometimes call stick to itedness, tenacity of purpose. Hang in there. 
If at first you don't succeed, try, try, and try again. It took us 12 years and three tries. And, and, and my, uh, also mentioned a great expense mm -hmm. for each application. Each application cost over half a million dollars mm -hmm. at the low end. Mm -hmm. Of course, I had assistance with expenses and people gave up their time. Mm -hmm. This is even more important. So my advice to those people is tenacity of purpose, hang in there. Mm -hmm. Never give up. You know, the, the, the guy who can sink a three-pointer from way outside the circle. He didn't just, he wasn't born with that talent. Mm -hmm. Some people practice over 1,200 times a day to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's tenacity of purpose. Yes. Mr. Jolly, Dr. Jolly, I want to thank you so much for, for being my guest and for, for sharing, sharing the story of, of, of some, some of your journey over these many years. Well, Neil, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you very much, too. Dr. Denham Jolly is the recipient of the G. Raymond Chang Award from the University of the West Indies in 2021 and the Macdonald Distinguished Alumni Award from McGill University, his alma mater, also in 2021. And on August 6th, Independence Day, he was conferred with the Order of Distinction in the rank of Officer by the Government of Jamaica for his contribution to the Jamaican diaspora in Canada and philanthropy. Impact in Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation, Manpower and Maintenance Services Limited. The Jamaica Public Service Company, Red Stripe, Kyramed, and Proven Investments Limited. If you or anyone you know is involved with projects and activities that excite, motivate, and encourage, send us an email to impactingjamaica at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Do join us again for another in the series on Google Podcast, Audible, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and Stitcher. You can also visit us at impactingjamaica.com.